Welcome to The Work Seminar, the podcast for people with liberal arts advanced degrees considering work outside their fields of study. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another episode. I'm your host, Jesse Butts. Today I'm chatting with Amanda Cass, an MA in Geography and PhD in Urban Planning and Policy turned Public Finance Analyst. Amanda is now the Associate Director of the Government Finance Research Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we dive into the path from geography to urban planning to public financing, or to public finance, excuse me. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing at UIC now. What is the Government Finance Research Center's focus, and how do you relate to that? Yeah, so the center, the Government Finance Research Center, we were launched in 2018. So we're still a relatively kind of new center, and we're a research unit within UIC, within the College of Urban Planning and Public Affairs specifically. Um, And so our mission is to shape and inform public policy and scholarly discourse on government and public finance. Kind of, I think what that means is we do exactly what our name says. We Mm -hmm. study and research government finance, and we kind of disseminate that research, I think, in a variety of mediums because we're really interested in shaping public policy and public discourse. So we write blogs, we write research papers, we write academic papers, um, we do interviews like this. Your kind of, or maybe not kind of, your a nonpartisan vehicle for for people who are are trying to figure out what exactly is being spent and the efficacy of that with public institutions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you know, for me, I came into kind of public finance from a non kind of linear path, and so one of my interests has long been like, how do I explain to other people how to research? public finance issues? How do I explain to someone or help them get tools to be able to understand how their own community is spending public dollars? Is this at all levels of government or are you concentrated mostly on like federal or state or Chicago specifically? Or We're pretty focused on local governments, not specific to Chicago, but I'd say local governments within the United States. Um, my kind of career background is such that I also kind of personally focus on the state of Illinois, city of Chicago, and other local governments in Illinois. Great. So now that we have a better understanding of what you're doing and what uh, the organization is all about, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to go to grad school for geography? What made you want to go beyond your undergrad studies? It's nice to, I don't know, I guess, reflect on that a little bit. So I, when I went to undergrad, when I started undergrad, I actually had a really strong interest in international development and international studies. So I started out as an international studies major, and I thought um, that I would go on to do international work, international development work, but kind of found that I wasn't totally interested in doing that and was, you know, like many undergrads kind of thinking like, what else do I do? And a friend at the time said, hey, you should take a geographic information system, a GIS class. Like, 
GIS is some software you can learn. It's a practical skill. It'll open up a lot of doors to you. And so that's that was kind of my introduction to geography. And then I took some other classes within the geography department, specifically a class that was about development, but it started with kind of a philosophical question of, of kind of what is development and introduced me to kind of social theory. And I, I just loved that class. And that's, that's what set me on the path for geography. Um, and I worked really closely with the professor who taught that class and I did an undergraduate thesis and he really encouraged me to kind of go on and, and pursue an academic route. And then I should say too, my, both my dad and my brother work in academia. So it, this was kind of like a known career path for me. For those of us, and I'm definitely including myself in this, who really aren't that familiar with what one studies in ge- in a geography program, undergrad or graduate, what kind of of courses or emphases or, or focuses can you study in geography? Yeah, I think geography is a really great discipline that has a, a lot of subspecialties in it. So let's say if you're really passionate about climate change and issues of climate change, there's um, physical geography is one of the branches. Um, I got to take a class with one of the kind of world premier people on climatology who did ice core samples as an undergrad. Um, There's also human geography. So if you're kind of interested in societal questions around, let's say, capitalism um, or the labor market, like how does U.S. consumption um, impact international issues? You can study that in geography. And then there's also the kind of spatial science aspect. Like I said, doing geographic information systems, that I think of as kind of a more applied route with a lot of kind of technical skills. So geography is a really big, I think, umbrella with a lot of really interesting branches or um, subdisciplines to it. And you were taking initially that more is is it GIS that's the acronym for that software yeah, you mentioned yeah GIS yep okay. and what are you what are you doing in that software exactly <laughs> or broadly maybe not exactly is the right way to phrase that i the way i use it is i think of it like a tool like i think of um, excel or i think of r and it's a tool for doing spatial analysis and for um, map making so Let's say I want to make a map of all of the municipalities that are in Cook County, Illinois. My interest is in population growth. So I want to be able to visually see which communities have seen their populations grow and which ones have seen their populations shrink. That's something I can do in ArcGIS. Is this also like if there were perhaps some like proposed... I don't know, shopping center or factory? Is this type of software you'd use to determine like, you know, how big it could be or how it would fit or that type of thing as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, There's a lot you can do in in GIS software. Think of it like you can put in a lot of different layers and analyze those layers all at once. So let's say um, you're considering lots of different sites for, like you said, a mall or a development, and you want to take into consideration transportation, environmental impact, uh, nearby population, other businesses that might feed into this new business. You could layer all of that 
in GIS and use kind of some of the analysis tools to refine the location and kind of narrow down from, let's say, a really big pool of locations to more specified ones. Got it. So when you started your master's and you were working through that program, you entered with this kind of, I don't want to say GIS focus, but maybe the route surrounding that was what you were interested in. Did that change or evolve as you as you engaged more with the the field? I would say I have kind of, um, I had dual parts to myself at that time. So the GIS part was, I think, rooted in a more kind of practicality of I need job skills. Because I graduated undergrad in 2008 when the financial crisis was happening, right? So that was really formative to me. And I really um, thought about what kind of jobs can I get? And I felt a real importance of like, having skills that could land me jobs. But then the other part of me was, was really academically inclined and really interested in social theory, uh, kind of critiques about capitalism. Um, and that was the kind of side that I was pursuing when I went to do the master's program. It, it was not kind of GIS rooted or practical at all. It was really rooted in these kind of questions about international development, and uh, kind of capitalism. I'm sorry, I misunderstood that. As you were in your program and you were finishing up, did your interest in international development, the you know critiques and questions about capitalism, did that intensify or were you leaving with kind of a different perspective than what you started? Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think I got kind of burned out in the master's program to be totally candid. So Again, I went there when I started the master's program, I thought I would continue on and do the PhD program. So I, I kind of view the master's as like a stepping stone to the PhD. And again, at that time was doing more kind of internationally focused research. My thesis for my master's was about the post-earthquake reconstruction efforts in Haiti. I went to Haiti for just about a week and kind of studying the the reconstruction efforts. And I was particularly interested in the kind of outpouring of international aid and particularly U.S. aid that was pledged to the reconstruction efforts. And I was really interested in like, where does that money actually go? And then this, this kind of brought up like lots of ethical questions for me of like, essentially like, what am I doing with this thesis or with this work to kind of actually make the world a better place? And I just kind of felt like what I was pursuing was not not what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I just knew that the path that I was on wasn't what I wanted to keep doing. And just just time frame wise, you finished your master's in 2011. Am I remembering that correctly? Yep. I know probably technically we were out of the Great Recession, but you know, as far as I can recall, it still felt like we were in the throes or the aftershock of it. But what did you end up doing after you you finished your master's and knew that you didn't want to pursue the the PhD in geography? <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. So I finished up my master's at the same time that my now husband uh, was finishing up his undergrad and he was moving to Chicago for graduate school. So I moved moved to Chicago with him and didn't really have a plan. I spent the first summer that we were there writing my master's thesis up and just applying to every and any job that I could. Because I had these GIS skills that I developed as an undergrad, I applied to kind of anything that had to do with GIS. 
I just applied to stuff that had to do with public policy. Initially, I, I worked at um, a retail store. I worked at Banana Republic when, when we first moved there because I really had, I had no idea, you know, like what's next, what do I want to do, but I need a job. First, I want to say that a summer in Chicago, not knowing what to do is a pretty good place to be at a good <laughs> yeah. time of year <laughs> for, for anybody considering Chicago. But um, that plug aside, so how long were you, you know, working at Banana Republic or, or sorting things out before you landed on, you know, work that was more aligned to, to what you were doing? Or is that when you were seriously considering an urban policy PhD? No, I wasn't. So when I came to Chicago, I kind of knew I had an interest in like someday maybe I'll I'll go back and pursue a PhD. Um, there's no geography PhD programs in Chicago. So hmm. I was kind of like, I don't know what's next. I heard about the urban planning and policy program at UIC and thought of that as kind of most aligned with my interests. And actually, Cup of the College has a jobs board, just an online kind of list of jobs. And I actually went to that and, and looked at jobs on there and applied to the job that I got, which was as a researcher for the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. And I have like no idea what was going on in my brain that made me think I was qualified for the job <laughs> because I like wasn't, it was for a position researching Illinois' public pension systems. I didn't have a background in fiscal policy or um, public finance at all. I didn't know anything about Illinois' politics. Like I'd heard of who Rod Blagojevich was, but didn't know anything past that. I had no awareness that public pensions in Illinois were underfunded or what a huge issue this was. Like just no idea what I was getting myself into. But like there's something in my brain that was like, oh, like I was interested in money when it came to the reconstruction or reconstruction efforts in Haiti. This has to do with money. This seems like an interesting organization. Like I'll apply for it. <laughs> I'm lucky that I got it and it it ended up being a really great fit for me, but I could still, you know, I, I'm like, I don't know what was going on in my brain. <laughs> thought, thought that I could do this. I think this is a really interesting point though, is that we often feel that we're not qualified or we're far from the ideal candidate and we let that hinder us, but it, it can be taking these chances like these that change the trajectory of our careers and our lives. Oh yeah. And it totally, the other like, I don't know. I think like funny thing that I think back on is I had long said like I wasn't interested in doing applied work or public policy work. And then here I was after my master's degree, like gravitating towards jobs that have direct kind of public policy work or like that's really the space that the work that I've been doing is in. And so, yeah, it was like not only a job that was not quite aligned with my academic training, but also kind of in a field that I had long thought is like, oh, not for me. So what led to that mind shift change? That's such a good question. I wish I could like put myself back and <laughs> like where I was at, like, yeah. to, I guess it was like almost 10 years ago. I think at the time I was just applying to like any and all jobs that I thought I was remotely qualified for. And that's, and that seemed interesting. And I was fortunate that the job that I got at the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability was one that I really loved. And, and I think through that job, learned how much I really do like having 
uh, foot in kind of the quote unquote real world of impacting policy or or being able to weigh in on contemporary policy political issues. Um, and so it was really like through that job experience, I think that I uncovered like what I'm really interested in. And was that the job prior to applying to PhD programs and going that route or? Yeah, it was. So I worked at CTBA for several years before I applied to the PhD program. And then when I started the PhD program, worked there uh, part-time for a while. As you entered the urban planning program, is public finance typically a concentration or was this kind of another scenario of finding something a little tangential and then kind of making it your own? I think it's definitely, for me, was a little, the latter. Finding is something that's a little tangential and like making it my own. Again, when I first moved to Chicago, I had heard about CUPPA. And part of why I'd heard about it is the person who became my advisor, Brenda Parker, her PhD is actually in geography. So the urban planning and policy program was long on my radar as like the most geography-ish um, program in, in Chicago. And then there's scholars like Rachel Weber and Phil Ashton that their, their work isn't kind of public finance, but it's public finance-ish. So Rachel Weber asks a lot of questions about kind of economic development. She does a lot of work around tax increment financing. And so I thought that the program was a really good fit with my interests and then I'd kind of started building up this career doing public finance, and I wanted to keep that, I guess, that, that kind of career door path going. So I kept working throughout the PhD program. And there are just a couple terms you mentioned that I want to make sure that we understand. So CUPA, what is that? Oh, CUPA is the, let me make sure I get the acronym right. <laughs> it's the College of Urban Planning and Public Affairs. So it's the college at UIC that I did my PhD in and that I still work at. And so the college has two different departments. One is the public administration department and the other is the urban planning and policy. And so public finance typically falls more in public administration departments than urban planning and policy departments. And you mentioned, I actually can't recall the definition. I just know the acronym TIF. Mm. I know kind of what it is. It has to do something with certain areas can spend taxes in certain ways, but maybe you could give us a real definition <laughs> of that. Uh, TIF is such a thorny, thorny, thorny topic. So TIF stands for Tax Increment Financing. And so it's, it's an economic development tool, basically. So what happens is an area gets designated a TIF district. And so then all the properties that are in that district, all the properties within the TIF district, then any growth that is in their property value, the taxes from the growth in the property values is used to finance development projects within that TIF district. Let's just use Chicago as an example. If Navy Pier expanded and that brought a lot of growth and revenue, instead of that money going back to all of Chicago or for you know the mayor's office to figure out how that's spent, that district instead 
gets to decide where in its purview that's spent versus the whole city saying, oh, we got a little extra money. We can apply it in this neighborhood five miles away. Yeah, that's roughly how it works. And part of the argument is that that extra money wouldn't have happened but for the development. And so, but for this TIF district, you wouldn't have had that extra money. And the actual kind of mechanics are a little more complicated. I actually wrote, I think, an explainer about TIFs with Daniel K. Hertz a couple of years ago. And I think it's on my website or it's on his website if people uh, are, are listening to this and like scratching their heads like, what is TIF? But, but TIF and some of these other things, these are the kind of things you're interested in studying, these implications of how how tax revenue is collected and how it's spent. Are, are these the things that you're diving into more in both your PhD program and the the job that you maintain during that time? Yeah, definitely. And I think some of it too was was a desire to provide information and explanations to people. So I think public finance is often highly technical, somewhat arcane, and there's a, like a high barrier to be able to kind of enter the conversation and, and discuss about it. TIF is a good example of, I think there's a lot of politics around TIF, but there's also often a lot of kind of confusion about the actual mechanics of TIF. How does it work? What does it do? As you're in your PhD program and you're simultaneously working full-time, what are you thinking as you, you know, get close to your dissertation or start working on it as to what you want to do after you finish the program? <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, again, as somebody who graduated undergrad in the last financial crisis, that was really formative to me. And also seeing the kind of massive changes, I think, in higher ed. So as a PhD student, um, and somebody in a PhD program, right? Like you're kind of trained that the end goal is an academic job, that the end goal is to get a tenure track position at a R1, you know, a research institution. But those jobs are very, very few and far between. So I kind of, again, had this mindset of like, I want to keep a foot in a world outside of academia to kind of try and keep the maximum number of career doors open. And I was really fortunate that the center that I'm currently at launched in 2018, which is around the time I think that I started, I think I passed my qualifying exams. I was like all the dissertation at that point. And so I got the position as the associate director and kind of helped launch the center with the founding director, who is also the dean of the college of CUPA. And I'll be like candid of like, I haven't really thought much past my current position. I'm fortunate that like, I love this job. We have a new director, Deborah Carroll, who started this past summer, who's amazing. I love working with her. We've got some really interesting research projects that we've got going on. So I've been fortunate that like, I don't really need to think past my current job. Nice. And just to, to clarify, so you finished your dissertation while working at your current job. Yes, which I don't, if anybody's interested in doing a PhD, I don't totally recommend doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, <laughs> just a very practical question, you were working and going to school full-time 
you finished your dissertation while you're at your full-time job. What is it like now not having an academic obligation over you as you're working? Oh, gosh. It's interesting. It took... So when I was working on the dissertation, writing it, I would start writing at like 5.30 in the morning and spend a couple hours writing and then switch over to doing my full-time job. And during that phase of like getting the dissertation done, there's, there was like no work-life balance at all. It was kind of like work was all consuming. And luckily my dissertation and, and PhD interests somewhat align or overlap a little bit with my work interests. So it wasn't like I was in two totally different worlds, but now that I'm done with the dissertation, it's been a little bit of like unlearning, like learning or, or relearning how to have a life outside of being a PhD student and a full-time employee. So like trying to rediscover hobbies and what to do with free time. Are you still like waking up at 5.30 out of habit or have you? No. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> but it took, it took a little while to like undo that, right? And, and like undo this feeling of like, oh, I have to be, I have to be like waking up early and being quote unquote productive. And if I'm not being quote unquote productive, then I'm doing something wrong. So reflecting back a little bit, are there any other areas from your study, from your master's program that you see a relationship to your current work, like any skills or just any of the topics that you were studying? Yeah, I think some of the skills that I developed as an undergrad is thinking critically. So taking a step back and and trying to see a bigger picture or engage kind of like critically with a question before just like jumping into it. I think the other big thing I got especially from the GIS work, was around data management and data organization. So I think that's like one of my plugs for why people should do GIS classes. In addition to learning how to do geographic information system work and learning that software, you develop really good, at least for me, you develop really good uh, habits for how you organize and manage your data. Um, and not just data, but like any documents, like how do you organize Word documents? How do you deal with version control? That's super, I think, practical and helpful and a skill that you develop that can be applicable to kind of any job. What did, what did you have to learn about yourself to find work that would fit you, especially ruling out academic careers? Mm, I wouldn't say I'd ruled it out. I, I think what I would say is, what I what I did rule out is viewing that as the only path and the only marker of success or a good career. And I think what I had to learn about myself, and I think what I had to learn in general is like is that there's lots of other types of jobs and there's other work that is fulfilling. So, you know, one thing that I learned again is like I really liked this kind of more applied side. I liked the side of doing public policy work that was more in the short term or in the immediacy. So as an example, Illinois, the state of Illinois and the state general assembly is working on crafting the budget for the upcoming fiscal year, which will be fiscal year 2023. And what I really enjoy during budget season is being able to read the proposed budget. I get asked by reporters to kind of weigh in of, you know, the governor put forward his budget proposal. What do you think about it? How's the state of Illinois' fiscal situation? Is it improving? Is it declining? And I really like to be being able to engage in that kind of work. Um, and I think 
the nature of academic work is often so long-term. So for example, I just got an article finally, knock on wood, published, and it took two years from the first submission of the article for that to get published. And, and that's not even counting the kind of data collection and analysis time. So a two-year process for one article. So I guess what I had to learn a little bit about myself too was, was that I like I don't like working on just a very long-term timeline for projects. I like the mix of short and long-term. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> I think I think it absolutely does. I'm wondering if we could provide a little context for listeners outside of Illinois when you talk about planning for the state budget and that mm -hmm. work. Was it three, four years that Illinois went without any budget? Uh, I mean, just if you could give a little context to why this is such a bigger deal in Illinois than a lot of other states. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there are budget battles in every state and every state has its own kind of like fiscal year cycle. And in some places they have a two-year budget, not an annual budget like Illinois. But yeah, it's, it's gosh, long been contentious. I think since I've been working on Illinois finances, which is since 2011, I think it's always been contentious. It kind of reached a peak during the last governor's tenure. So during Governor Rauner's tenure, Governor Rauner was a Republican there was a Democratic-led General Assembly, both in the House and the Senate, and it was like a loggerhead over the budget. And so the state didn't have a budget, a formal budget for two uh, fiscal years. Again, this is why I like, really like public finance and love what I do, is that even saying that there was no budget for two years isn't totally correct. There's many aspects of the kind of state's functions that are on autopilot and that it doesn't require the General Assembly and governor to sign off on a budget for spending to be occurring. And the General Assembly passed funding for K-12 education, and the governor signed that in, into law, which is one of the biggest chunks for the state budget. So there was an impasse over the budget for two years, but not kind of all aspects of the state's finances were affected, and not all aspects of society kind of felt the consequences of the budget crisis. You mentioned that you love your job. For you, how important is job fit? Do you need to find a job that you love or is it kind of serendipitous for you that you have? For me, it's huge um, to find a job that I love. And it's not just about the work that I do. It's also the people that I work with, which is one of the reasons I really love UIC and I really love CUPPA. And so it's been a really, it's been a really great fit of, I feel like I'm doing meaningful work and I'm getting to do that with people I really enjoy working with. With your job, obviously what you do is is very public facing. And I don't know if it's a step above and beyond or part of the job, but I mean your writing has appeared in in Chicago magazine, Crane's Business Chicago. I've seen you on uh Chicago Tonight, which is a show on WTTW, which is Chicago's PBS affili affiliate. How did did you start all that? And how does that fit into the job for you? Is is that an expectation of your role? Or is that just, I mean, your passion? Yeah, I think that's, that's, I don't know, nice of you to ask and somewhat nice to reflect on. I don't, it's definitely not a requirement of the job, I don't think. I think it's, again, when you were talking about, you know, what kind of like led me down the path, or what did I have to uncover about myself? That's something also that I discovered is like, I like 
I personally like having that public facing role. I, I find it both like terrifying to go on live TV and live radio, but also really like exciting and a, a real like, I don't know, feeling of accomplishment after it. And also like a, just a sense of like, you know, I watched Chicago tonight for a long time and, and it felt like, well, I can be on there. Like I know stuff about Illinois finances. I know stuff about Chicago's finances. I can speak to these issues. And the way that I got into it actually was from the first job I had in Chicago at the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. I worked with somebody there who unfortunately has since passed away. Her name was Kathy Miller. And I first get into this job and she's like, Amanda, you need like you need to introduce yourself to this reporter. You're now the person who studies pensions. This person has a pension question. You need to call them up and you need to introduce yourself to them. And I was like terrified of doing that and very resistant. It was like, no, no, no. Like I'm a researcher. I want to sit in my little corner over here and like sit on my computer and crunch these numbers. I don't want to call anyone. No. But I was also like, you know, new to a job, new to this career and was just like, I don't like, I don't know, I guess I have to do this and call that person up and introduce myself and then had to do uh, a public presentation to the League of Women Voters, the Illinois League of Women Voters. Again, another time where it was like very terrifying and I very much felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not capable of this, but was just kind of like shoved into doing that and then found like, okay, like, I survived. I can do that. And I really, I enjoy talking with people. I enjoy giving public presentations. That's a very long winded answer. of <laughs> I came to do these things. It's, it's really fascinating. Do you do some of these as a way to build your brand or, you know, make yourself more attractive as a potential employee to other organizations as you move along in your career? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, definitely somewhat like I think one of the valuable things that I have, I think, is a network, the network that I've built in Illinois. And I think some of those connections, though, are like a two-way street, especially with reporters. So I can provide analysis to them or help answer a question. But sometimes reporters can help me of, hey, I saw this news story that's referencing some pending legislation. I can't figure out what the actual bill number is. Can you tell me what that is? Or, hey, I read a story about this lawsuit. I can't find the case number. Like, can you tell me what the case number is? And so I think, yes, it's definitely something I can market or is valuable about myself. But I've also found like I really like collaborating with journalists. And I really like this kind of relationship that scholars can have with journalists as like partnerships, not just a kind of one-way street, but a, a real kind of partnership. Earlier, you were mentioning, since you finished your dissertation, like unlearning some things or rediscovering hobbies. I'm curious now, how would you describe your relationship to work? How large of a role does it play in your life? Mm, that's a really good question. And yeah, you, you kind of like pose this question, I think, in one of your other interviews. And I, I've been thinking about it since then. <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't have a good answer. But I think for me, it, not only was I finishing the dissertation, but I was finishing during the dissertation during a pandemic and mm -hmm. finishing the dissertation during the pandemic and working from home and working really remotely. And so I think perhaps with a lot of people there's a rethinking of like, what is my relationship to work? 
if I'm working from home and I don't have a, a kind of separation between my home life and my work life, right? Like it's easy to have your job or your, or your work kind of creep in and, and take over. And I think it's really important to the extent that it's possible, right? That we, that we're kind of like privileged to be in a position that we can have something of a work-life balance to really kind of maintain that, which is a, like not a good answer at all. I would say like my work is my passion and my interest. But I also think it's really important to kind of have my identity not solely be my career and, or not solely be my job. What questions should someone who's out of grad school and they're thinking about pursuing maybe an, another master's or a PhD or some other advanced degree that differs from what they studied before? What, from your experience, were, were some of the questions that helped you decide to to go that urban planning, excuse me, urban planning and policy route after that geography experience? I think the first question is like, why? Why is someone doing it? What's your goal? What are you hoping to accomplish with it? I think there's lots of professional and master's programs. So I think for some people, there can be a kind of real practicality of, I got my undergrad in X and I really want to pursue a job as an urban planner. And I've noticed that everyone who does urban planning has a master's in urban planning. So I really need to get that. I want to pivot my career. And that's why I'm kind of pursuing the master's. I think for PhD, I think there's maybe a little less like practicality, like career question, but I think it's important to reflect on like, why, why do you want to pursue this? What are you hoping to get out of it? And, and reflect on too some of the opportunity costs with going back to grad school, right? It can oftentimes be a, a pause in your career. It can have long lasting impacts on your kind of salary over time. So I think reflecting on like, why are you going? What's motivating you? What are you hoping to get out of it? And then I think very practically for somebody who's interested in a PhD is what financial kind of resources are going to be available to you in your PhD program. One of the key pieces of advice that I got as an undergrad was don't go into a PhD program if they're not offering you financial support. So if you're not going to be a funded PhD student in a program, don't pursue that program. Were there any books or TED Talks or anything that you you saw or read as you were kind of considering a different field of study that might be helpful to somebody else? Hmm. Sometimes I like to listen to the podcast, How I Built This. <laughs> the NPR one? Yeah, the NPR yeah. one. Because that often, like, uh, I don't know that that, like, inspired me or helped me, but I find that, like, an interesting one. You hear people kind of talking about how they built their company and, and some of, like, the pitfalls that they went through in their kind of trajectory. So I'd like to, to wrap up with, which I'll completely acknowledge is, is a pretty selfish question, but as I've been listening to you, I've been realizing how ill-informed I am and how part of that is that it seems so hard to find sources related to public finance that aren't hyper-partisan, you know, like the headline is they spent $13 per donut at this whatever meeting. So I'm curious, what advice do you have, aside from following the work that your organization is doing, for people to get a better understanding of what revenue is being collected and how it's being spent and how effective all of this is? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Again, this is one of the challenges of with public finance. Again, I think there's like a really high bar to to kind of get in. Unfortunately, it's easy to sensationalize numbers. So I like your example of like, oh, they spent $12 per donut at, at a meeting, right? <laughs> you can really like sensationalize that using Illinois as an example, using Illinois' long-term debt and saying this debt equates to $30,000 per resident. And I think oftentimes people don't realize debt is it's a long-term obligation, right? It's something that's not going to be paid off in one year. So I think maybe one like easy tip or, or practical thing is if you're reading a news story and it's got like some scary number in it, some big number, try and take a step back and think of like, what is actually being discussed? Is this a, a short term? Is this something that actually gets paid off in a year? Or is it, again, if it's talking about debt, like these are long-term obligations. The other thing is if, if people are interested trying to get in law, involved in your local city or your state's budget process, right? So when the budget cycle is happening, kind of trying to get involved, seeing like, what does the city council do with the budget process? What do they vote on? What are the biggest sources of revenue? And you can identify those some through budget documents, all cities and states put out budget documents. Ask your local representative, your city council member, like, I'm trying to understand this, help me make sense. Like, where do my property taxes go? Uh, where does my income tax go? Help me understand where my money goes. All right. Well, thank you, Amanda, for joining me on the show. This was wonderful. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Work Seminar. If you like what you've heard, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Know someone who'd be a great Work Seminar guest or have a suggestion or two for the show? You can reach me at jesse at theworkseminar.com or at The Work Seminar on social. And thanks, as always, to John Camp for the music and Isabel Patino for the design. Until next time, never cease from exploration.